Chapter 8 of The New Adventures of Alice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The New Adventures of Alice by John Ray. Chapter 8 Buttermilk Channel. Milkman, milkman, where have you been? In Buttermilk Channel, up to my chin. I spilt my milk, I spoiled my clothes and got a long icicle hung to my nose. The next thing Alice knew, she was floundering about in a sea of buttermilk. The buttermilk, curiously enough, did not seem to wet or chill her, though, as she discovered later, it was deliciously cool to drink. When she had recovered her wits sufficiently to look about her, Alice saw that the somersault Sally was already some distance away and plunging along at a great speed. She could just make out the familiar figure of the poet leaning far out over the rail, waving his hand, and, carried on the breeze, came the words, "'So sorry that you had to leave. Good-bye. Give my regards to Steve.' The next moment the ship had disappeared in a bank of fog. After swimming about aimlessly for a time, Alice found to her surprise that she could touch bottom with her feet, and still keep her head and shoulders above the surface. This, of course, was a great relief— but it was very tedious just standing about in this way with nothing in sight but buttermilk and not a soul to converse with. So after a while Alice began talking aloud to herself, as she usually did when all alone. Well, of all the uninteresting, lonesome situations, this is the very worst. I do wish someone would come. And I wonder who Steve is, she continued after a moment or two, remembering the poet's farewell words. I dare say I shall meet him before long anyway. "'Wery probably, miss, wery probably, cause long can't be found nowhere,' said a melancholy voice startlingly close behind her. Alice turned in such haste that she lost her footing on the slippery bottom and went under. When she came up again, sputtering, the little girl saw this rather curious sight. A large dented milk can balanced on the head of a very sad-faced, undersized man who was standing almost up to his neck in the buttermilk. A long icicle hanging from the end of his nose helped to make his expression almost ludicrously woebegone. And what's more, he was now continuing dolefully, apparently not having taken the slightest notice of Alice's mishap. I'm Steve. Steve for short. That is, Stephen Short's me old name, miss. Long he was my partner, and that, as you might say, is the long and short of it. But as I was saying afore, "'He hasn't been seen for days, miss.' "'How did he happen to get lost?' asked Alice, "'feeling that it was time for her to make some sort of remark. "'It's a sad story, a most distressing story, that it is.' "'Here the milkman's voice almost broke. "'You see, miss, my partner Long were an uncommon tall man, "'a regular giant he were, "'and unfortunately his eyesight were very poor.' and it's probable that he is getting worse, and him being so tall. He finally got so as he couldn't see no further than his knees, miss, and his feet they took him up the wrong road somewheres. Leastway, that's my opinion. How very unfortunate, was all Alice could think to say in consolation. And the milkman, after sighing deeply, went on, That ain't my worst trouble, miss, not by no means. Mooly geezer, that's my cow. She went plumb crazy, miss, what with jumping over the moon, and I can't never catch her no more at milking time. 
so I has to keep goats now, here he choked back a sob, and sell buttermilk. I never knew that goats gave buttermilk, said Alice rather timidly. My goats, you see, miss, are all butters, groaned the milkman so dismally that Alice hastened to change the subject. Please, she inquired, why do you carry that big milk can balanced on your head? It must be very tiring. Well, miss, answered the milkman thoughtfully, there's several reasons. It makes me look a bit taller, for one thing, and then, too, it protects my head where the air's getting scarce, as you might say. I lost my hat, miss, and when I hops it slips off in the iceberg, and I'll probably never set eyes on that hat again. Here the poor milkman began to weep openly, most of the tears running down his long nose and thence down the icicle which hung from the end of it. I suppose, thought Alice, who always liked to find good reasons for everything, that's how the icicle was formed. It must have been the freezing cold on that iceberg, and every time he cried the tears ran down his nose and froze. The milkman continued sobbing quietly, only stopping now and then to say in a choking voice, It's all been very depressing for me, very depressing indeed. Alice racked her brain to discover some way to divert his mind from his many troubles, and finally unable to think of any consoling or amusing remarks of her own, she decided in desperation to simply recite the first thing that came into her head. This happened to be down by the river. It went along quite correctly for a line or two, but changed very queerly after that, and this was the result. I was walking by the river one spring morning long ago, and the reeds were all a-quiver. They're such nervous things, you know. I had paused a while to listen to the singing of the stream, when a voice said, Now it isn't my desire to make you scream, or alarm you, ma'am, unduly, but if I were you, I'd run, for you're in great danger, truly, and you haven't got a gun. This surprising voice of warning came, I noticed, from a bird on a treetop. Just this morning, it continued, I have heard a voracious tigerilla growling round this very tree. My advice is, seek your villa. Why, from here I plainly see seven frying panthers stealthily coming hot upon your trail, and you know they're most unhealthy, lest you catch em by the tail. So, you see, you'd better scramble, though there's hardly any hope, for, approaching at an amble, comes an elephantelope. These were words to make one worry. I stood shivering with dread, and was just about to scurry, when a catfish calmly said, "'Nothing's coming to pursue you, ma'am. Don't you believe a word?' for that fellow talking to you is the far-famed liar-bird. Although Alice's verse did not seem to have had a very noticeably cheering effect on the milkman, he had at any rate ceased sobbing, and the tears were no longer running off the end of his nose. Medium good, medium, he murmured gloomily, after quite a long pause. But just listen to these here verses, he added more brightly, and drew a sogging, dripping sheet of familiar crimson paper from his breast-pocket, the tide was evidently ebbing, for the second button of the milkman's coat was now visible. The poet he wrote it special for me, to pay my milk bill. You see, Missy— Oh, do you know the poet, too? interrupted Alice. He's really quite a friend of mine. It somehow seemed to her that she had known the poet for a very long time. I knowed him last week, Miss. But my gallons! He has that many disguises that you can't always rightly tell who's him, as you might say. 
I knows him when he's a scarecrow, and I knows him when he's a wheelin' and pie, and they do say he's wonderful convincing as a signpost, he added earnestly, handing Alice the dripping sheet. He had been clumsily attempting to dry it by rubbing it with his coat sleeve, which was, if possible, even wetter than the paper. You'd better read it to yourself, miss, after all, he said huskily. You see, it's really too affecting to me, not only for its own sake, as you might say, but for the sake of the six bob he never paid me. Fearing that the milkman would burst into tears again, Alice took the sheet. She could just manage to make out the blurred writing, and this is what she read. Yearnings. For years and years I've peddled milk, from Trent to Timbuktu, and also cream, though twas my dream, far different things to do. Far different things to do to do, far finer things to do. For instance, I should like to drive around and round the square, a pink and purple omnibus, how people all would stare. Or think how pleasant it would be to stand for hours and hours upon some snow-capped mountain peak, a-selling paper flowers. Then one might fish for griddle cakes each night twixt twelve and two. I sob and sigh to think that I so many things don't do. I'd take soft soap and seashore sand and mix em up with tea, and of them make a cobble cake to sell at one and three. My sweetest dream of all is this, I love a change of scene, at the North Pole to dig a hole and plant a lima bean, and plant a lima bean, a bean, a lovely lima bean. While she was reading, Alice had noticed that the buttermilk they were standing in was gradually thinning and changing to clear water. She was just about to call the milkman's attention to this when she suddenly heard the sharp rub-a-dub-dubbing of a drum behind her. Looking in the direction from whence the sound came, Alice beheld a most amusing spectacle. A stiff breeze had sprung up, and a huge tub was approaching, spinning round and round and bobbing up and down on the choppy waves. In the tub were three men, a butcher and a baker, easily recognizable by their dress, and a third occupant, whom Alice, because of his very insignificant size, did not notice at first. The baker had tried to rig up a sail by tying his apron to a long French loaf, and was making desperate efforts to brace the strange mast with his knees, and hold the flapping ends of the apron at the same time. At his wild contortions even the melancholy milkman smiled feebly. The butcher, his face purple with exertion, was paddling as best he could with a large meat-cleaver, the only result of this was, of course, to keep the tub spinning faster and faster, and make the work of holding up the mast all the harder for the poor baker. As the strange craft drew nearer, Alice saw a tiny fellow, even smaller than Captain Tiwi, standing in it, furiously busy beating a drum almost as big as himself. He was apparently wholly oblivious to his surroundings. "'I've never seen as many dwarfish people as there are in this queer country,' thought Alice. Perhaps it's because the artist wasn't as careful as he should have been in drawing some of them. So intent were the occupants of the tub upon what they were doing that Alice and her companion attracted no notice at all from them, until a shrill whistle and a surprisingly loud milk, ooh, from the milkman caused them to cease their frantic efforts. Lard a pork, shouted the butcher after a moment's panting pause and then steering with his cleaver he brought the spinning craft about so sharply that it bumped heavily into the poor milkman, knocking the milk-can off his head. The cover of the can came off, and the milk spilled into the tub, knocking over and nearly drowning the little man with the big drum. "'Oh, dear, we beg your pardon,' began Alice, 
for somehow or other she felt responsible for the mishap. "'We really didn't mean—' She was interrupted in her apologies by a loud, joyful shout of dinner-time from the baker, who was already breaking up the long French loaf he had been using as a mast, and throwing the pieces into the milk, which was swashing about in the now almost submerged tub. End of chapter 8 Recording by S. C. Kaplan